We are over in Acts chapter 17 and verse 1. We had just finished with Paul and Silas and their ministry excursion into the area of Macedonia and how uh, little success it seemed that they had, how abundantly they were persecuted for it, but that out of that a church was born to which Paul would write a letter to later on. But now we move on and in verse 1 of chapter 17, you might want to pull our map up on the, the screen there too at some, t- some point here. We'll take a look at where we we're going. Now when they had passed through Am- Amphilipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. So, let me pull out our, our little spot. We left off over here in, in this area, and, and uh, we're over here in Thessalonica. We're, we're moving through here. Apparently, he was not uh, given the green light to, to do much there. And then he comes to Thessalonica, which we know there's a church that has uh, grown there. And he's going to eventually go down in here into Berea. And then he's going to set sail and come all the way down here into Athens. So those are the places that he's going to be going to as we cover this part of it today. That'll be chapter 17. You see the little hour there going over to Corinth, and that's where he'll go into the next chapter. But this is where he is at uh, for this time. So he comes into the area of Thessalonica. This Jesus what coming to explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And so this is one of the I guess the first time they probably had heard this. There are Jews in the area. There is a synagogue there, so obviously there are Jews in the area. So he goes in there as his custom was. He went into the Jews first. This was his custom, it was for, for a while that he would go in and preach to the Jews first, and then after that, they would uh, sometimes give him the left foot of fellowship, and then he'd go on over there to the Gentiles. But this time he went over to the synagogues, as his custom was, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. The word here for reason is is the word we get our word dialogue from. It means to say thoroughly. I always like that definition of it, to say thoroughly. To discuss in an argument or exhortation, dispute, preach, reason, or to speak. So this is what this is. He comes on in and he reasons with them. Now he's taking on people that are not believers in in Jesus. Some of them are Jewish people and they know the Old Testament very well. Some of them are Gentile people. Some of them may have had some knowledge of the Old Testament, but certainly knowledge of other areas of uh, other gods or, or other, other places where they had come from. So they had some knowledge. And what Paul is doing here, he's not coming in with a prepared message and preaching to them. He is reasoning with them. He's having a discourse. He's having a dialogue with them. And what this means is Paul would say some things and they would say some things. They might ask Paul some questions. Paul would probably ask them some questions. They probably had a hard time answering some of his questions. But if Paul stays here at the center of the reasoning, what it tells us is that out of the group that is there, Paul starts off the discussion and remains the expert. If someone else came in, was answering more of the questions, and Paul was not able to answer the questions, Paul would fall from that area of being the expert, and the dialogue would be directed at someone else. 
So what this tells you is that Paul is very able to hold this conversation with Jews and Gentiles and still remain the focal point of the dialogue. That's important to know. Because it doesn't change to someone else. If it had changed to someone else, it would have been noted. But it's not. Paul stays that, and he'll, we'll see that throughout the, the whole chapter here, that he's able to, to do this. In verse 4, And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Now this is saying something, that if in one dialogue, well, or actually three of them, in a couple of uh, dialogues with them, you are able to take people who have been staunch Jews, probably heard about Jesus and believed against it, or maybe they just didn't hear about it at all, and take these folks and in a matter of a week, two weeks, three weeks, take them to the place where they not only accept Jesus as the Messiah, but believe on him as their Savior. That's pretty good dialogue. He's done some, some good things there. Now, only some of them came, but you know, how, how often are you going into a group of people and all of them got saved? All of them got converted. We're just having dialogue here. We're just having discussion. No preached message, no anointing coming upon him, and he's just going off and, and teaching on something. It's just going back and forth, discussion, having some, some talk about what's happening here. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not, of the few, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So of the Greeks, there were more than there were the Jews, it would seem. But still, people from the Jews came on over, a lot from the Greeks, some of the leading women, some of the people that when it talks about this, is talking about uh, you know, maybe some of the, the women who married a governor or, uh, or uh, somebody high up, uh, uh, one of the leaders of the city, or somehow they came into a place of prominence on their own or whatever it might have been. Uh, Greeks didn't have the same view of women that the Jews had. Uh, in fact, uh, depending upon... Uh, Washington, well, not over there in, in uh, the area of Greece yet, but some of the area, when he, get, when he gets over there into to Greece, all five districts in the Grecian Empire have different views of women from what I had, uh, had learned. And they're very different. They're uh, uh, very intriguing compared to what the Jewish people did. But wherever part of the world they're in, uh, some places the, the women were have a, more of a place of prominence than they did others. And... Um, here we have some of the leading women or prominent women. They joined Paul and they joined Silas in doing, uh, preaching the word or taking the word of God out to people. So some were persuaded. Now, if we go on over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'll have to read this off the screen. I forgot to pull this into to my copy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to see some of the things that Paul talks about when he comes into the region of Thessalonica. And how he, he ministered to them there. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not told too much about the power that happened in Thessalonica. So what you can derive from this is, even though in some of the places here in Acts, we're not told of the power and the miracles that happened, it doesn't mean they didn't happen. We're not told of anything in Thessalonica. All we're talking about is that he reasoned with the, the folks there and got some of them uh, turned around. But apparently... There was some power that had gone out because he refers to it here. But as in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now look at this. He, they first off became followers of Paul, is what he says. 
When I came on in there, I preached the gospel to you. You saw the demonstration in, in power. You saw the demonstration in the word. And some of you became followers of us, Paul, Silas, and the rest of the people that are on the team. But he goes on from there. And so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. They became examples. They started out with Paul and Silas and the rest of the team as their examples, but they grew to the point where they became examples to other people. That's some good growth. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. Well, they had gone, they apparently ministered to a lot of places outside of that. And you're going to see this here in this next verse. For from you, the word of the Lord was, has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. What he is saying to them is this. He took the word of God to them. They were their examples for a while. Eventually, they became examples to other people. And then they grew to the place where they took the word of God out on their own to all of Macedonia, Achaia, and to every place. So much so that Paul's going around into some cities that he hadn't been in and probably saying, oh, we heard about that. How did you hear about that? I didn't know anybody else was out this way preaching about Jesus. Oh, some folks came from Macedonia. And uh, they taught us about this. So they actually got ahead of Paul in some places. So the Paul is writing about this and said, wow, you guys just went out all over the place. You guys really caught hold of this thing. Can you see why God had him go to Macedonia? These, po- these people absorbed the gospel. They held them up as examples, which is a good thing to do. It's good to have other people as examples early on so that you can follow them. You become imitators of them. And then other people became imitators of the, the folks from here, Thessalonica. They became imitators of them. They were, they were that good. But also in every place, your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. What he's saying is, we, we don't need to go anywhere in here. You guys have done it. You guys have gone out into this area and you have preached the gospel. And, and Paul's happy about that. He's not mad because they took all the new territory. He's okay with this. Uh, Keep going on verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. When he came to them, he's reasoning with them, but many of them were worshiping idols. And they went from worshiping idols to worshiping God. Now, the Jews were not worshiping idols, but some of the Gentiles that they ministered to would have been. Verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And, of course, the Thessalonians were very interested in that topic of the wrath that was to come. So here it was. He had, he had gone to Thessalonica, preached, the word, reasoned with them, not so much preached, but reasoned with them. And they, they took hold of this, used them as examples, and then became examples to others, and then went out and preached the word of God. That's pretty explosive when the way Paul talks about it. Here, more so than you just see in the book of Acts. Verse 5, Acts 17. But, you always know that's good. But the Jews who were not persuaded, some Jews were persuaded, some Jews were not persuaded, became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Now, we're seeing this now. We were talking about this a little bit on Sunday, but certainly we're, we're, it was even back here in this day. This is because this is an attitude of the kingdom of, of, of Satan. This is what he, they do. If they don't like it, they make war with it. 
That's just what they do. They don't like a thing, how it's going on. Then they're going to come after it. Uh, back, uh, I, I didn't watch these. I heard about this in the, uh, one of the award shows. You all know exactly, some of you will know exactly which one this was. But um, uh, Natalie Grant walked out of the uh, award ceremony because uh, they were doing a gay renewal of the vows. Is that the Grammys? Is that the Grammy ones that we have going on this year? Is, is Grammys for music? Okay. All right. So it was a music award. I think she even got an award. Either she didn't get it yet or I'm not sure which part of that was. But anyway, she just, all she did was get up out of her seat and leave. Didn't say anything to anybody. Didn't make a scene. Didn't make a fuss. Didn't go outside to grab an interview or, or anything like that. Just got up and left. And they made a stink about her doing that. That how dare she? And, and so forth. Uh, now, if she had, it had been the opposite, and if a, uh, if a gay supporter had gotten up and raised a fuss because of something that was going on that was pro-marriage, well, he would have been acclaimed, and the other folks who were pro-marriage would have been put down. So you can see that it was even back, back then that uh, uh, it's, it's never fair. It's not even. That we were talking about it on Sunday that uh, there's one group who um, over the, that uh, bill that they had over in Arizona, which was just designed to protect the business people. And from what I'm told, it actually mimics, again, Arizona did this, mimics a federal law that's not being enforced. That's a surprise. <laughs> but it's a federal law that's not being supported or support. Uh, uh, they're, they're not enforcing it at all. And so they had a similar law put into their state. And she was going to veto it for whatever reasons that she decided to veto it. Uh, it wasn't because the obvious things were what they wanted her to veto it for. But it was not going to stop people who are gay from being serviced in a restaurant or any other other places. What it was going to do was protect people who had a religious belief that I don't want to take photographs of a gay wedding. I don't want to cater a, um, a, a gay event and that you don't have to do that. Because, of course, the uh, folks who had the bakery uh, didn't want to make the cake for the gay wedding. And therefore, um, they were the only one in the city who could make it. And these guys took them to court. And even though there are other places, other bakeries who wanted to make the cake, that's not good enough. No, we've got to take these guys to court and basically shut their business down. That, uh, because you're, you're not allowed to stand up against that. However, I don't know if you heard about this, but there were some folks who were Muslim truck drivers. And they had a ticket to deliver alcohol. And they were allowed to not deliver it because of their religious beliefs. <laughs> now, the, the list goes on. I'm just giving you a couple of examples. There's a whole, I've heard a whole lot more stories on this where as long as it's not a Christian belief that keeps you from doing it, it's okay. The, um, the, the person who was cutting the governor's hair, cut it two times, had said, I'm not going to cut her hair anymore. He's gay, and he didn't want to cut her hair anymore because of her stance in, on this, this issue. So he's not going to do it anymore. That's okay. But if you don't want to take pictures of a gay wedding, you could be put out of business. So that's what the bill was to, designed to protect. And this is the unfair stuff that we're seeing going on that, um, you know, we, we have to make more, uh, more of an issue about it. Because if the people stay quiet, then, and these businesses that are put out of business one by one, don't think they aren't going to come after you. For one reason or another, no, they will. They will certainly 
do it. They're becoming very aggressive. I mean, that, I, I haven't been surprised. Natalie Grant, just no, no fuss, didn't make anything about it, just got up and left. That was it. You have to, no, you have to stay here and put up with this, even though it doesn't work the other way. But, uh, but be aware, these are the things that are, are going on. And it is getting worse and worse. And the thing is, the gay population is a very small population. I'm told the numbers are between 3 and 5%. Yeah, if that. I am being a little bit generous. It was actually told a little lower than that. I'm, um, I'm guessing that maybe they're off a little bit. But 3 to 5%. We are altering our entire country for 3 to 5%. Um, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Now, no one's trying to put, you know, if they, they want to have a gay lifestyle, no one's trying to keep them from having cakes at their weddings or whatever it is that they, they do. No one's trying to stop them from having a photographer. It's just that if a certain person doesn't want to be that one, they shouldn't have to be that one is all that they're, they're trying to say. So anyway, but the Jews were not persuaded, but the Jews who were not persuaded became envious as soon as you cannot win, it's the same thing it is today. As soon as people cannot win an argument on the facts of a thing, they become emotional. And they start yelling and screaming or hollering or conniving or whatever it might be that they do. They became envious and took some of the evil men from the marketplace. The wording here is, uh, anybody have a King James Bible handy? I love the way that they put this thing. Um, Anybody got that handy? They can get that? Did you, are you going to put that up on the screen first? Mm-hmm. All right, there we go. Here it is. Who took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. <laughs> so they, uh, they shortened that in a New King James and just said evil men from the marketplace. Is how they, uh, they took it. What these guys are is the marketplace is just kind of where everybody gathers. And these are men who sat around there and they gathered in the marketplace. And, uh, you know, the police have them on their radar. We know about you, but nothing has really stuck. We know that you, it's not quite right. You're hanging around here in the marketplace all the time. You have money, but we don't ever see you do anything. Where does the money come from? How is it that we know that you're not quite doing things? You know, if you watch the shows, we know that they're guilty. We know that they did it, but we can't prove it yet. So this is the, these are the kind of guys that are there. These are the ones that they're, they're getting. The evil men, they hang around where people are because where people are, there's money. They can steal little things here. They can take little things there. They're not going out and robbing banks. They're not going out and, doing, uh, and murdering anybody. They're just doing a lot of this little stuff. Money keeps coming in. They're evil men from the marketplace. Is the, and the wording in the Greek is just exactly that. Evil men... From the marketplace. And so they went down to the marketplace there and they found some of these evil guys. And I heard somebody give an example of this. These are the kind of guys that have you ever watched those shows on TV, the police shows? And they have the CI, the criminal informant, confidential, but they're they're criminals. They they have this this guy. They're they're bad people. They're either, you know, sometimes they're prostitutes that are just on the street and they hear about stuff. Sometimes they're they're guys that are in a gang somewhere and they're just around to hear some things. And and so they use these folks. All right, they're not doing anything really, really bad, but, uh, you know, we'll we'll use them and they cut deals with them or stuff like that, that. That's the kind of people that are here. These are the ones that are, that they're doing this with. So they go on down there. The Jews who were not persuaded, this is the way. These are Jews. These are religious people. 
these are people that are supposed to be worshiping God, go down and they get these evil men. Hey, guys, come here. I need you to do something. I want you to go get a mob together about these guys. I want you to say stuff, do stuff, whatever you got to do, get a mob together and uh, let's do this. And so they gathered a mob and they set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Now, evil men from the marketplace are going to go out there and gather a mob. Why? Money, right? Why else do these people do things? They do it for money. They don't have jobs. They're just evil men to hang around the marketplace, but they always got money. They've always got some kind of a thing, little, uh, little shady deal that they're doing. So the Jews come down, take their money, give it to the evil men from the marketplace to go stir up a mob. Why don't the Jews just stir up the mob themselves? We don't want to be involved with this. That's not right. <laughs> so we'll get other people and we'll hire them to do it. That's okay to do it that way. Evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Now, what has Jason done? He had them in their house. That's it. Now, up until uh, all the time that they're having this discourse with Paul, they're having this, this conversation, it's fine that Jason is housing them. That's okay. As soon as they turn negative on them, Jason is no longer housing them. He is harboring them. Right? It immediately changed. If he was harboring them for all those, all those weeks then wouldn't they have done something about it? You are harboring someone that we don't want you. You're hiding them out. But they, they don't because they are staying with Jason. But now all of a sudden, we go from staying to harboring. They attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. They didn't just protest. They attacked. They attacked the house of Jason. We saw this uh, back on, uh, a year, two, three years ago when the uh, labor unions were busing in people to protest at certain people's homes who were standing up against some of the things that the government was doing with these labor unions. And they pitched things on their lawn. They, they attacked their cars. They, they were attacking. It was okay for them to do that. Remember, if you remember any of that that was going on. Well, they attacked the house of Jason. And sought to bring them out to the people. For what purpose? For discourse? <laughs> no, they want to beat on these people. They want to hurt. They want to cause harm. So they attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So these evil men, this is what they did. This is what they stirred up. This is what they were able to get going. They were hired to start a riot. And when they did not find them, Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Now look at the phraseology. They dragged Jason. It's not saying that Jason wouldn't go, but they're a, they're a mob. They have a mob mentality. They don't care if he can walk or not. They are dragging him over there. They, they look to harm the boy. And of course, being dragged is not a, a good thing. He didn't say they led them there. He didn't say they arrested them and took them. It says they dragged them. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Now, this is what they're saying. These men, Paul and Silas, and all the cities they have gone to have caused riots in all the cities. 
And we're here to protest it. How are they protesting it? By causing a riot. <laughs> so these men have caused riots, so we have caused a riot to bring attention to the matter. But Paul and Silas have not caused a riot. It's always the other people that are causing the riot because they got envious, they got mad, and so forth. Now, they bring them to the authorities. Again, these are evil men of the marketplace. They are out in the open. These are not hidden people. We know who they are. They are suspicious of them. They know that they're evil men. They know that they do things that are not quite right, but they can't quite prove anything. And these people are going to come and make an accusation against Paul and Silas. What would, if you were the authorities, what would you say? Oh, wait a minute. We know who you guys are. Why should we believe what it is that you guys think? But they don't do that. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. It'd be nice. We always like that phrase, you know, it'd be nice if people see Christians as people who turn the world upside down. We're actually turning the world upside right. The devil turned it upside down a long time ago. We're out there trying to turn it back right. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. Hmm. Well, I haven't really said anything about the decrees of Caesar. They're just declaring that Jesus Christ is the king and that his kingdom is coming. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. This is what these kind of folks do. They trouble people. They like to trouble people. Christians should not be troubling people. But we know there are folks that are out there who do so. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So the rulers saw them and they said, look, we're gonna, uh, we want some security from you to make sure that you are not going to run. You're going to face these charges. And then we'll, uh, we'll go on from there. So Jason apparently put something up. The rest of them put something up. They put collateral up saying we will be back. We won't just run off. And uh, these folks uh, stirred this up and, and got this thing going. So they, they stirred it up against Paul and Silas for the purpose of getting rid of Paul and Silas. And they do get rid of Paul and Silas. Verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Now we don't know where Paul and Silas were. We know when they came to the house they didn't find them. And so when Paul and Silas got back from wherever it was that they were at, they said, hold, hold on, we got a big problem here, and we need to get you guys out. And so they, oh, they were sent away by night to Berea, where they arrived. They went into the synagogue of the Jews. Again, they, it's because it's, it's his habit. I'm sure after a while you begin to come leery. These people are causing me trouble everywhere I go. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. The word there for fair-minded means that just they had a better mindset at hearing something new. They had a better mindset. Now look, it defines what that mindset was. We ought to take a lesson from this and Look to use this as an example. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. So when the word came out, when, uh, when Paul talked about the gospel, when Paul talked about what was, what was going on, what they were doing, in the, and what he pointed out in the scripture about Jesus, when he preached to them, they received it with all readiness. They were ready to receive some people are ready to receive the word and some people are not. And of course, you've experienced that in some of the people that you talk to. 
What they're saying here is that the people in this city were far more willing to receive than in Thessalonica. And yet we have a pretty good letter to the church at Thessalonica. So the first thing was they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. There are two reasons that you could search the scriptures daily. One is to prove Paul and Silas wrong. The other is to prove them right. It's a whole different mindset. What they're saying is they went to the scriptures to say, you know, that sounds right. Let me go to the scriptures myself and check this out and make sure this is what it's saying. It's a whole lot better than going to the scriptures. I know that's a lie. I know that's not right. I'm going to find out why. You know, if you go into scriptures with that kind of a mindset, you can find something. And if you go into scriptures with an open mind to say, Father God, you show me what's going on. The scriptures will open up for you as well. They search the scriptures. Notice it said daily, daily, daily. They're constantly in the word daily checking this out. All right, Paul was talking about this. They're probably coming out with each other and say, hey, I was checking out the scriptures over here. I was looking at that scripture that Paul was talking about over here. I was talking about looking at that scripture that Silas was, was teaching us about. And this is what I found. What did you find? And they're talking about it. To find out whether these things were so. In other words, they were interested. They were real interested because they're doing it daily. It's not a thing that they put off. You know, next week, maybe we'll check that out some more. Therefore, many of them believed. Well, the reason that many believed was because of their attitude and reception to this. It's because of their, the way that they went to the Scriptures to, to say, you know what, this sounds right. Let me find out what the Scripture is saying, else is saying, so I can know to believe this. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks. Now, before we saw there were multitudes of Greeks and some of the Jews, this time we're seeing that there were many of the Jews and not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. So before we had more of the prominent women talked about, now we got prominent women and prominent men all, uh, all being brought into the place of being converted to the gospel. But when, Jews, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Isn't that what they do? People who are against the truth cannot bear to let the truth be taught. People who believe the truth don't, don't pursue untruth the same way that people that are in the untruth area pursue the truth. That's why we're seeing so much persecution that comes up against the Christians and not so much persecution that goes on with the other, other types of lifestyles, other types of areas. It's, it's the same thing back in then. It's the same devil, folks. So when they learned that the word of God was preached by Paul, word came back. Paul's over there in Berea preaching. They make the trip themselves. They probably have never made a trip over to Berea. Didn't care about the folks in Berea at all. But now all of a sudden they want to come in there. Now when they come into Berea, are they saying, I know we never care about you and really we don't care a whole lot about you, but don't take on what this guy Paul saying. I'm sure that they come in and they are real nice. Hey, you know, we haven't been here in a while. We really should have been coming on up here. And uh, how are things going? Oh, Paul's here? Oh, you don't want to listen to what he has to say. Oh, that's not good. You know, they come in. They're, they're, just, they're crafty. They're deceitful. They're not just going to come in and, and expose their motives. 
So they came not to help, but to stir up. They came there also and stirred up the crowds. That's what they're good at. It's easy. Crowds are easy to stir up because most people, they just don't, they don't think. They just go out there and they just feel. They just, well, I don't feel that that's right. Well, I'm mad at that one. Well, I'm angry. Well, I shouldn't, I should have that. They shouldn't have whatever it might be. Verse 14, then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So Paul's the center of attention here. We get Paul out of here. Maybe we can still get some things done. And so they left Silas and Timothy there. If you're Silas and Timothy, would you want to stay? (laughs) These guys are tough. These guys are tough. So those who conducted Paul brought him to, I'm sorry, but, but they... And then immediately, brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, and they departed. So what they did was they actually used a little deception here. They sent Paul on. They left these guys back behind to, to do this, and they made it seem like Paul was going in one direction or one place, and they actually took him over here. They didn't tell anybody where they're going. They let them make any kind of conclusions that they wanted, but they brought them down there to Athens. And the purpose was to wait for Paul or for Silas and Timothy and the rest of the team to join them in Athens. And then they would go on to whatever the place they would go to after that. And that way they would lose the, uh, the folks that were following them. That was their, their goal here. Now, while Paul, verse 16, while Paul waited for them at Athens... He's, his goal was to wait. You know, Paul, just go out of there and wait. Don't go preaching the gospel. Don't go getting people riled up. Uh, we don't want to come in there and find you dead. Uh, just, just go in there and wait. You know, just take it easy. Well, Paul's on a missionary journey. What he does is preach the gospel. So if he comes into a city in Athens and he's not preaching the gospel, what's he doing? He's not set up to make tents yet. He is doing Nothing. So you got this new guy who comes into town, and what's he doing? Nothing. He's not preaching the gospel. He's doing nothing. So while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked, not led. His spirit was provoked. It does not say that he was led. It says that his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. He saw Athens, and the Greeks were really given over to idols. They had so many gods. Holy cow, they had gods. And then he thinks Athens is bad. When he gets over to Corinth, it's even worse. Corinth was one of the worst cities of the modern uh, day then. And he's going to go there next. But right now he's in Athens, and he sees gods all over the place. He sees nothing but celebrations, and some of the things that they did in the celebrations for these gods was immoral and After a while, he's just around all this sin, all this debauchery, all this drinking, all this carousing, all this stuff that's going on. And he is just provoked. And he says, they need to know the truth. Do they not know this is a way that's going to take them to hell? And so it says he was provoked on the inside. It doesn't say God stopped him. It doesn't say he went by a stop sign. We know from before, he was told, don't go there. I don't want you to go there. Apparently, he didn't get a stop sign here, but he was not led. He was provoked. <laughs> he, he, was, he saw so much sin and debauchery going on. He said, man, I've got to preach the gospel to these, for these folks need to hear it. Therefore, he reasoned 
in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. And here's a new one. In the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. We hadn't seen that part before. He may have done it, but it wasn't mentioned before. So now on the Sabbath, he's in the synagogue reasoning with the Jews and the Gentiles who came in to worship. Reasoning, not preaching. Reasoning the same thing he did in the previous two places. Reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. So when he first arrives, he is doing nothing. This is is Paul. Paul is a very industrious person. To do nothing hurts him. So he's doing nothing. And then he's seen all, of course, he's he's wandering around. He's looking at things. He's seen all the stuff that they're doing. He gets provoked, and then he begins to dialogue with them. So he's got however long of doing nothing, and now he's got this time doing dialogue on a daily basis. You need to know that to understand verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? The word there for babbler is a word that means, it's a compound word, and it means a seed picker. (laughs) That doesn't tell you a whole lot, does it? It means one who is a sponger, one who is a loafer. Why are they calling him that? Because when he arrived there, what did he do? Nothing. Nothing. And now he's just going around discoursing. This particular word was used for people who would sit around loafing, doing nothing, would not do their own work, but would listen for things that people would say, things that people would share, and then go off to other places and take that message, that revelation, that understanding that they got and pass it off as their own. So they use this word for this. They called him a babbler. Our our language puts him in as as a babbler, a seed picker, a sponger, a loafer. They're looking at this as a, as a guy who just comes in, in here. He's just listening. He's probably just heard these things that he's sharing, heard it from other people. And now he comes in here to share it with us. So that's their impression. These philosophers come in. And this is their impression of Paul when they first come on the scene. This is what they think about him. And then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. They didn't just see him, they encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? So they probably saw him at a distance, wondered about him. Then they heard him having this discourse with the people. They encountered some of these things. And they said, what's, what's, what's he up to? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. Boy, is that ever a fun thing for people to say about you. How would you like to have people say that about you? You are a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, and they took him and brought him to, and this is basically Mars Hill. This is the place that's called Mars Hill, and he was going to preach from there, saying, we may know what this new doctrine is. I'm sorry. May we know what this new doctrine is of what you speak. So what has happened was he took these philosophers. These are people who think for a living. So they do sit around, and think and contemplate and understand. 
and they heard the things that Paul was preaching, and they didn't just scoff and leave. They said, we need to take you to a very prominent place, Mars Hill, and we want you to speak to us, and probably some others are going to bring along, we want you to speak to us there. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. This is what they do. They sit around and they find out what things mean. They don't do anything with it. They're philosophers. They just, I want to understand how things, what, what things mean. That's all. I had to take philosophy in college. Oh, dear Lord. I've told every person I could get my hands on who's going to be a Bible major to major in something else. Because if you go to a liberal arts college, you have to get most of your liberal arts credits in sociology, psychology, and philosophy. I learned early on, and I exited out of the Bible major to add on a Bible minor and took a whole mess of credits in business, in marketing, or not marketing, um, uh, economics. I love economics. I would far rather take 10 economics courses than one philosophy course. I do not like philosophy. I don't get along with philosophy. We are not in the same frequency. And the person that I had as a teacher was a typical philosopher. In a Christian school, understand that, the typical philosopher. And dear Lord, he was, he was not one of my mentors. He, uh, anyway, that was my, my feeling. I, they sit around and they think about things. They talk about things. They work things out, but they don't do anything with it. They don't do anything, anything at all with it. And that's what these guys did. We, want to hear, we just want to hear what you have to say. We want to understand these things. You're, you're saying some things that are new. So they, he went from being a babbler to someone worth hearing. That's what I want you to see in this. They went from having an impression of him that he was a babbler, just a loafer, just someone who came in, no job, to someone worth hearing. That's how good Paul is at handling the Word of God. He took these guys and got them interested. He took Gentiles and got them interested. He got Jewish people and got them interested. That is a pretty broad range of people. To get interested. And you look at all the different types of cities. He is covering quite a few different areas and quite a few different cultures. And in each culture, he is able to get people interested in the gospel. And interested in making sure it doesn't go anywhere. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. These are the people that called him a loafer. This is how it describes them. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. That's it. Tell us something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in all things you are very religious. <laughs> now, this is, Paul is being generous here. He's, he's, he, how many of y'all know Paul could call, the, could call them some other things? Immoral would be one. Idolaters, they wouldn't understand that a whole lot, but he, he could certainly call them that. He could call them a whole lot, but instead he says, I see that you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, 
I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Is that remarkable? It is taking something from their culture and relating the gospel to it and then bringing them into the light. How much better is it to do that than to try and bring them into something completely brand new? Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might by grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. That's a pretty neat phrase right there. Since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. Something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. That kind of threw some of them. Resurrection of the dead, some of them didn't believe in it, some of them did believe in it. Kind of like what Paul did when he was in front of the uh, group. He had the, the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he talked about, I'm on trial for the resurrection of the dead, and got them all in turmoil. And, well, they said, We will hear you again on this matter. Uh, they probably would have kept on hearing them there, but there was so much ruckus between the, the, the groups, groups that believed in the resurrection of the dead and groups that did not. However, however, some men joined him and believed, just from that one message. Maybe they also heard some of the other dialogue that had gone on in the weeks before. But, However, some men joined him and believed, among them Dionysus and Earl Pagot a woman named Damaris and others with them. So we have two people, Dionysus and Damaris, two people, prominent people, got, got named among all the group of people. These are some of the ones that came to him. He got some prominent people. Usually, if you want to make the thing work, get some prominent people. You know, the Christian science that's how they promote it. They get prominent people. They get people from Hollywood. They get people who will uh, promote their, the, the things that they're, they're doing. And, and Paul didn't go after them, but some of the prominent people believed. Some men joined him and believed. Among them were these two. But there were others. Three cities that he's in. Now the rest of his gang is going to join up with him, and they're going to go over into Corinth. 
Apparently there were no riots to uh, speak of so far in Athens. Put on your, your outline this. When ministering to others, and this is what Paul is doing, he's ministering to others. He's, uh, he's ministering them the gospel, the message, getting them out of idolatry, out of their pagan lifestyles. When ministering to others. Now look at who Paul was ministering to and look at who it is that we are ministering to. Paul had people he was ministering to who were involved in some great faults. Drug abuse, drug usage, alcoholics, these kind of things would have been going on, people being drunk, these kind of things were, were happening. The folks in the type of uh, worship they would do at the temples, how many gods that they worshipped, all these things that they were doing. He had a whole lot that he could have been pinpointing for them. Families out of whack. When ministering to others, don't pick out faults. Point to a bright future. That's what Paul does. Paul does not sit there and say, look at all the things you guys are doing wrong. Look at how you dress. Look at how you talk. Look at who you hang out with. Look at what you do with your free time. He doesn't talk about any of that, does he? What he does is he paints a picture of Jesus coming, judging the world, and what he was going to bring, of righteousness that awaits us. He doesn't point to the faults they had. He points to the future. Now, think of the people that you minister to. Some of you minister to children. Some of you minister to adults. Some of you minister to heathens, people at your workplace. Some of you minister to relatives. Whoever it is that you're ministering to, you're not probably ministering to a group as bad as the ones that Paul is. How easy is it for us to begin to pick on what they wear, how they talk, who they hang out with, what they drink or eat? How easy is it for us to begin to do that? We've got to be careful. If Paul is not doing it to this crowd and he's getting people to change, we need to look at some things. It's not that these people didn't change eventually. What he has to, what Paul realizes is, we got to get them saved. We got to get them to the gospel. We got to get to a point where they will receive from the Spirit of God, and then things began to change. Things began to turn around for them. When ministering to others, don't pick out faults. How many of you like it when somebody comes over and picks out your faults? Does that inspire you to receive from them? It does not. We know that. How is it that we think we are going to help others by picking out their faults? Not going to do it. Point to a bright future. Point to the future with Jesus. Point to the fact. That's why the Word of God gets into the, the part that what we do down here in this life has an everlasting impact in the one that is to come. It's pointing to a bright future. And what we can do down here changes it. That gives us inspiration to go. Instead of just saying, you know what? Quit doing that. Stop that. Here's the last one we gave you. Don't protect what is yours. Very often as Christians, we feel like certain things have come into our domain. I have received these things from God. I get to do these things for God. These things are mine. We need to stop trying to protect what is ours. I put in your outline this way. Don't protect what is yours, but give what has been given. That should be our focal point. 
Too often Christians are out protecting what they feel is theirs. They are not out giving what has been given. Paul is not out trying to protect a ministry that he has. He is not out trying to protect anything. He is out there looking for what he can give to each group of people he comes to to get them to a place where they will be get born, get born again. If it's healing, if it's getting rid of demonic presence, whatever it is, he gets in there and he, he, he gives what he has. Our mindset needs to be don't pick but point. Don't protect but give. Give what you've got. Keep looking for opportunities to give. If we get, and Christians do it all the time, if we get to a place where we are trying to protect what we feel is ours, we end up not giving what we have been given. Because you're either going to be in one or two areas. You're either going to be protecting what is yours or you are going to give what was given. Where are you going to fall on? Paul is a giver. Wherever he goes, he gives what he has received. He always stays in mind. You know what? I was a bad sinner too. And God turned my life around. God can turn your life around too. He doesn't sit there and pick on their faults. Now eventually, when a Christian, and they come after God, and there's some maturity that's there, and they get off on something, he will correct it. Because they know better. But these folks, they're, they're, they're new, currently new uh, believers. They don't know any better. They don't know what they're doing is wrong. And he responds to them that way. We have to begin to do that too. There's people that are infants in Christianity. We need to respond to them as infants. Some of them are toddlers. We need to respond to them as toddlers. We need to see them grow. We need to help them to grow. But we need to make sure that we adjust how we minister to them to where they are. This is what Paul does. He does a masterful job of it. And churches grow and people get saved. Prominent people come to the gospel. We can learn from some of the things that he was doing. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. The temptation is for us to begin to pick on all the things that we see that are not right. Because that makes us feel so much better about ourselves. But Father, that's not what we're here for. We're here to point to you. And that people become imitators of us as we imitate you, as Paul tells us at one point. We need to become imitators of you that people can become imitators of us and raise up for a group of people who not only do that, but also excel at becoming an example themselves and themselves even take the word of God out to others. That's where we need to go. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us in this. To follow after Paul's example, the places that he went, the ways that he brought the gospel to people who were as against the gospel as anything we've ever seen. Father, help us to learn from him. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.